from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And we are back for an episode of the Lightning Round of the Badass Counseling Show. I am in studio with my dear, 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 dear friend and master magician on the magic machine. Rob, how are you? Um, uh, great, Sven. Yeah. You know, so many narcissists lately on the program. And you know, every narcissist is an icon. What does that mean? That means every sentence starts with I and it's a con job. Oh, wow. Listen to this guy. Rob's got his stuff going today. He's got oh, it all, yeah. he's all jacked up in Mountain Dew. Woo! I got my pee pants on right that, now. That makes one of us. <laughs> All right. Um, and I have Casey in the booth laughing her head off. It's always fun to see her happy. You got anything to say for yourself today, Casey? I, I have nothing to follow with after <laughs> Rob's brilliant joke. <laughs> all right and it's great to have all my listeners here all over in the uk so many there and so many wonderful people from way up north in canadaville and from across the u.s binghamton new york and way over to los angeles so we got a lightning round going and these are always fun they're kind of fast and just you guys are throwing your questions at me i am live for those of you listening to the podcast i am live right now on tiktok and on facebook taking viewers questions listeners questions and they're just firing them at me. I have no control over this. So let's get her going. What do we got? Here we go. All right. Why does my husband not listen when I try to tell him how I feel and get defensive blocking me out? Well, your husband doesn't listen because he doesn't want to, right? I guarantee at your husband's job, assuming he works, I guarantee when his boss is talking, he's listening to her. I guarantee he's saying, okay, what's my next task? So we, we've we established that your husband knows how to listen. So the mere fact that he knows how, and at certain times he does listen, at certain times he does not listen, that seems to imply that when he's not listening, he doesn't want to. So you ask the question, why does my husband not listen when I try to tell him how, to, how you feel? He doesn't want to. Why would he not want to? Because he doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't want to have to incorporate your feelings into his life agenda. He doesn't want to have to be responsible to your feelings. You are fundamentally in a relationship with someone who is saying, fuck you. I don't care about your feelings. I don't want to hear it. Go fuck yourself. Now, if he were to actually use those words, you might just walk away, right? But it's like the kids say nowadays, tell me you're saying fuck you without saying fuck you, right? That's what he's doing. If he's choosing not to listen. Now I'm sure he has a million reasons or he blames you. Oh, your feelings, you're overblowing it. You're playing the victim, you're this. Yeah, yeah, make you the problem so that he doesn't have to be accountable to your feelings. So you are. So what now you're confronted with is, I am in a relationship with someone who fundamentally doesn't give a shit about my feelings. You okay with that? And no doubt this has been going on for a while. This isn't a fucking one-off. You wouldn't be posing it as a question here if, if it had happened once. You're posing it as a question on a live forum because this is a problem that's been going on, right? We have patternized behavior here now, right? And you've brought it up to him. I have no doubt you've addressed it. You've said something to your husband and yet nothing changes. So not only does he not care about your feelings, he doesn't care about your complaint about him, about him not caring about your feelings. And so we've got a serious problem here. You are in a relationship with somebody who doesn't care about your feelings and is not interested in changing. And ultimately, do you want to know how this story 
ends in all likelihood, you'll stay in the relationship, keep hoping you'll change. And eventually the pain will get bad enough where you'll start thinking about leaving if you haven't already. And then you'll likely leave once, finally get up the gumption to leave once, walk away potentially, or you'll just commit to never getting your needs met in this relationship. Maybe you'll cheat. Or maybe you'll just be fucking increasingly miserable for the rest of your life. And you will stay miserable if you stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't care how you feel and blocks you out defensively, as you said. All right, you're going to get miserable. You are more, even more miserable. And eventually you'll finally give yourself, the pain will be so bad where you'll finally give yourself permission to walk away. And then what happens? Then he's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to leave. I changed. Lord almighty, I've changed. Right? And then he'll act like he's changed and those behaviors, right? Then just watch and see how long it is before those behaviors revert back after he's gotten you back and you may go back. And there's no shame in going back to a relationship when someone says they've changed. There's no shame in that. We've all done that. All right. But sometimes we have to go back into a relationship once or four times or 10 times. I had a client who went back 13 times. She came to me for counseling after having done it 12 times. And it was on the 13th was the charm. No, 13th getting out, not going back in was a charm. There's nothing wrong with going back. But until the pain gets so bad in that relationship that you're sick of it, only when you see them revert back, revert back, and you realize nothing's changed and nothing's gonna change, then you can walk away for good. But yeah, you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't give a shit about your feelings and is blocking you out. They're saying fuck you without actually saying the words fuck you. That's the kind of person you are in a relationship with. And at some point, you're gonna, in all likelihood, have to walk away. All right, um, I cannot bring up things that she does that upset me. She's always right and I'm always wrong. You are in the exact same relationship as the person uh, that was just uh, laid the last one on me. Exact same thing, they don't care. They don't wanna care, they don't wanna be responsible to your feelings. They, that's an extreme taker. You guys have heard me use that phrase before and you are an extreme giver. You're giving, 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 even though this person is saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I don't care about you, I don't care about your feelings. But you're listening to all the, or you're listening to all those times when there are nice words coming out of her pie hole or his pie hole, in this case it's a her. You're listening to nice times and you're wanting those again. So you're endured so much shit to hear the nice words again. But it's bullshit. It's just like, dude, if you're gonna love, if you're gonna love someone, love consistently, love over time, love, have uh, love that's accountable. All right, next question. How can I fall in love with life again after years of depression? Honestly, I was in a 12-year suicidal depression, all right? I have the scars up my forearm, suicide, right? And um, you guys have heard me say this before. This is no shocking news, all right? Um, I finally got myself out. I couldn't find a therapist that really helped me over a long term. Uh, I just was dissatisfied. Good people, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they're affected with other people, but for me, it just didn't work that I was able to go deeper on my own, and so I did. And so for years, I journaled, and I was reading every book I could get my hand on in every field even remotely related, from spirituality to psychology to theology to self-help to everything. And I was trying every method, every tool, every exercise. Some would work, some didn't. And I built my own method. And that's what the Badass Counseling Method is. That's what my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is all based on. And my work, all the free podcasts I do, all the free videos I do, all of it's based on how to heal. And the way you heal is by flushing out the pain. That if you were, after a years of depression, did you flush out all the pain? Did you flush out all the fears and pain and bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself in childhood? That's the real damage. It's not even the pain. That's bad enough. You got to get that out. But it's the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. And that's what my book does. That's what, why it's different from the other ones. And there's so many other good tools. I, at the very beginning of my book, you can go on Amazon literally right this second. You can go on Amazon and don't read my book. You can go there and never read my book, but you can do that, look inside the book. And on page, I want to say five, right inside the book, you'll be able to see there for free the nine 
books on my recommended reading list. Normally a recommended reading list is put at the back of a book. I put it at the front. You wanna know why? So that you could go there and never have to read my book. But if you read those nine other books or even the top four, it's not the first four in the list, but my top four that I recommend, those will go so far in healing you. So my book is a book of tools that actually worked. I got out of a 12-year depression. So you're asking the question, how can I fall in love with life again after years of depression? You have to flush out all the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. And that's what my book does that those other nine do some of, but not as much. You have to identify what you were taught to believe about yourself. And then how do you fall in love with life again? You, if you flush out all the pain, that's it. You don't even have to begin to go after those things that breathe life into you. You will do that effortlessly because all who you really are and all the things that breathe life into you are down inside of you. They're not out there. They're down inside of you. But what's packed on top of them is a long winter, a long winter of crud and mud and ice pack and snow. What happens here, I'm up in uh, the New York City area. What happens in winter is all the leaves fall off the trees, Right deciduous, right? I think that's the word. All the leaves fall off the trees and then it rains in November, yuck, and rains in December and then snow, December, January, February. All that packs onto all those leaves. In the woods, when I'm always doing the, the TikToks on, and the lives and all that shit on, in my woods, on my property, guess what? It's all leaves and on top of it is the snow and, and sort of the dirt comes off the trees and then there's ice. All that gets packed on top of those little shoots down in the ground that want to come up and say, I'm a tulip. Hey, it's pretty out here right? All those little shoots want to come up. Well, the shoots of your authentic self are down there and what's packed on top of them is a long fucking winter. And I have been there. 12 years suicidal depression. I have been there. Different reasons, I'm sure. But I have been where you are. And as long as you keep pulling out that crud, pull out that long winter of ice pack and snow and crud and mud, keep pulling out all the crud, the shoots come up effortlessly. There's moisture in the soil of your soul and they are running roots down and now those shoots of your authentic self and the things you naturally want to pursue. Or I had someone, we just taped another uh, live episode of the Badass Counseling Show podcast and someone said, Sven, I'm considering getting a cat so that I can have more love and a bit more purpose in life. Any thoughts on that? And I said, hell yeah, go for it. Hell, go for it. I'm a dog guy, but I like cats. Go for it. And the reason is because that's a shoot coming up from his soul. To shoot saying, I think this might give me some sense of life and I could give love to this little critter. That's a shoot. The, the soul naturally calls us in the directions of new life and new flow if we get that winter, that ice pack, snow, mud, crud leaves that's been packed on from the long winter of depression that you were in. Next question. Alrighty, Aphrodite, what do you got to say to me today? All right. And the natural question, gosh, this is so great. You guys ask the best fucking questions. Well, how do you identify your shoots versus the winter or rot? That is such a great question. And the answer is very, very simple. Does it give you energy or does it take your energy? That's all. Does it give you energy? Does it energize you? Or does it suck the life out of you? Does it feel like a drag? So I mentioned the person in the last episode that we had taped who had said, I'm thinking about getting the cat. I think it would uh, for more love and someone to give love to and give me a sense of purpose. So he was registering, it was a gentleman, he was registering all three of those things, getting love, giving love and have a sense of purpose. All three of those were registering inside of him as that feels good, that sort of energizes me. Okay, that's how you know. 
if he, because someone else could see, fuck, I can't get a cat right now. Jesus, I getting a cat. It's like I got so much fucking responsibility. Or I, I just can't handle any new overload. The idea of giving love, getting love, or in more uh, sense of purpose, it's like, no, God, that would suck the life out of me. The exact same experience, two different people having a very different experience of the exact same experience. Right. How do you know if something is a shoot or winter rot? How do you know? How does it feel? Does it give you, and not feel just, oh, sad, mad, bad, glad, but does it give you energy or does it feel like it would be an energy drain? Does it suck your energy? You have to start to read your energy. And this is why I really like the book so much. And it's at least 30 years old. Uh, The book, uh, Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. She was a new age writer. And I was sort of talking about her book on the last show. It's one of my Bibles, literally on my bedstand. Or I don't really read at night in bed, but uh, it's where I read in my reading spot. And I love it. And I go back to it every now and then. And it's so pithy. It's so simple in really simple language, a little new agey if that's not your thing, but you can you know glide past that. But basically she links happiness and, and sense of self and authenticity to just reading your energy. And how do you read energy? By what I'm feeling and beginning to root out the, the yucky feelings and just beginning to allow myself to go to, go towards, go into those things that energize me, that your indicator of who you are is determined by what gives you energy. So that's how you know if something is a shoot or winter rot. All right, next question. Oh, heavy question, heavy question. Can a physically abusive man truly change? I'm going to be really, really honest with you here, Apple Swirls. You don't want to wait around to find out. That's my answer. (laughs) Can a physically abusive man, and I'm going to interject woman because I have been the victim of domestic uh, violence uh, at the hands of a woman in two different long-term relationships. Can a physically abusive person truly change? You don't want to wait around to find out. You think you do, but you don't. Because what if they don't? And not only what if they don't, that implies I'm willing to wait a while through some physical abuse, hoping they'll change. No, change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. If you read my book, if you watch my videos, if you've listened to my podcast, you hear me say that a million fucking times, change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. If there's no pain point, they won't change. So what's the incentive for your physically abusive husband, I'm going to assume, or brother or father, what's the incentive for them to change? Why would they change? They get to beat the hell out of you. Why would they want to change? No, they're not going to change until you walk away, even if that changes them. But you don't want to stay around to find out. Do not stay with a physically abusive man or woman or non-binary person. Do not do not stick around to find out. You think you want to because, oh, he's so sweet when he's nice. No, he's not sweet when he's nice. Do you want to know why I know he's not sweet when he's nice? It's the same reason when I have... Um, People in relationships with an addict say, oh, but my addict is so wonderful when they're not using or when they're not drinking or when they're not, when they're not. I say, no, they're not. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And yes, they are. That's why I stay in this relationship. It's for when he's sober or when she's you know, clean. I say, no, that's when they're their worst. And they're like, Sven, what in the fucking hell are you talking about? When they're sober is precisely when they're not getting help. When they're sober is when they're choosing to not go into rehab. It's when they're sober. They can't make that decision when they're drunk or when they're stoned or when they're high or when they're... No. That's a decision they're not making when they're sober. The day after, you know, they come out of it and they're sweet the next morning. No. 
That's the one you hate the most, even though you don't realize it. You hate that one the most because that's the one that's not going to fucking rehab. You think if I stay with my physically abusive husband, I'm staying with my physically abusive husband because the nice times he's so sweet. No, it's his nice times that are the worst because that's when he's not fucking changing. Do not stay with a physically abusive person, period, period, man or woman. And just for all the guys in the audience or uh, lesbians in the audience, if you are in a relationship with a woman, it doesn't mean that there can't be physical abuse. Again, as a person who has survived domestic violence with two physically abusive women in two long-term relationships, I am telling you it is just as bad. And people think, well, man, you're six foot four, 265 pounds. How could you be physically abused? Hey, because I can't hit back. I, I can't even get mad. You want to know why? Because all that has to happen is for a rookie cop to walk into that uh, house and say, oh, he's six foot four, 260 pounds. He must be guilty. And that's a rookie cop mistake. The veteran guys, they know better. The veteran women, they know better. They know that it can go equally either way, right? So it, for all the men out there that have been in physically abusive relationships where you have been physically abused by a woman or by a non-binary person or by another man, you know what I'm talking about, that there is definitely a stigma in our society that men aren't taken seriously, that the man must be guilty. There is. But I don't give a shit what gender you are or aren't. If you are in a relationship with someone who is physically abusive, get the fuck out. Don't wait around hoping, thinking they might change. Do that from the outside. You want to still wait around from the outside where you're fucking safe? Do that. Fine. You're going to be waiting a long fucking time. They might, if there's a pain point because they realize they fucked you over and they lost maybe the only person that actually fucking loves them. But do not, do not, do not stay in a relationship with a physically abusive person. Much more to come right after this short break. I am one of the lucky few who've had the privilege not only to read his books, but also to experience Sven face-to-face -face for countless one-on-one -on -one sessions. His intelligence, knowledge, and deep empathy have had a deep impact on me and the people I love. And I can say that he is amongst the most important people in my life for the last 10 plus years. I am thankful for you, badass Sven. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. Yes, we are back. Back with great questions from viewers live right now to my listening audience on the Badass Counseling Show from around the world. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I am on a TikTok Live and a Facebook Live presently taking viewer questions. And uh, right, we're just going to dive right back in. We've had some really intense fucking questions today. This is awesome. Rob, what are you thinking of the show, man? You're doing great. Keep it up. <laughs> Don't stop. All right, here we go. Woo, come on now. All right, here we go. Um, why can't I let go of someone who used me? A better you asks. Why can't I let go of someone who used me? Well, we've all been there, right? And this is one of those cases where love actually hurts us, a feeling of love. People say, well, why would I um, let go of feelings of love? Because you know, sometimes you're holding on to someone or something and it's just hurting you, right? Why can't I let go of someone who used me? Because you still have feelings of love. And in all likelihood, A, you think you won't have love if you don't have this person. I thought that. I've thought that before. At the end of my first uh, divorce, uh, woman divorced me. I was like, fuck, man, I'll never find anybody that good. But I did the work on me and healing and healing and healing. And I ended up finding someone who was even better suited to who I had become. 
but I was terrified of being alone. I was terrified of not having her. I'll never find anyone that good. You're holding on in part because you're terrified of being alone. You're probably thinking I'll never find someone that good. Why can't I let go of someone who used me? Very likely if you had someone who used you, and I'm not saying you were the reason they used you, you didn't cause them to use you, but we allow people to use us. We do, we allow it. The first time it happens, it has to be shut down so that it doesn't happen a second time. If it happens a second, a fourth, a 23rd time, I'm allowing it. And so it's the things that I allow that often do the worst damage in my life, right? So, and if I'm allowing someone to use me, that indicates there's unhealed pain inside of me. There are beliefs that I've been taught about myself that this is what I deserve. I deserve to be used. And so you already think, have a low self-esteem. And so when this, and where did that low self-esteem come from? It comes from childhood where you're taught. Even if you had good parents, they often, often a parent unintentionally will send a message that undermines your own sense of self. And unfortunately, it's often done intentionally. Um, and it undermines your sense of self. Gee, I don't matter. I suck. I'm no good. And so then you go into adulthood and you go into relationships believing that. And so you give and you give and you give and you let them use you. Just be, just stay with me. Because as long as they stay, they are a living, breathing counter message to those messages you got growing up. A living, breathing counter message. As long as they're here, clearly I am wantable. Somebody wants me. Clearly I am good. This person wants me. Clearly I do matter. This person wants me. So what you fear most is that person walking away because all of a sudden all those feelings come roaring up. As you've heard me say a million times, all those original messages, the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself come roaring up and fucking throb and throb and throb in your head. And it's all you can fucking hear. See, you're no good. See, you're unwantable. See, you're too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short. I remember when I was in football back in like fucking third grade, right? Pony football, then peewees, and uh, Pony League. And the thing I hated most about football back then, and we were a football family, it was Minnesota in the 1970s. Fucking Bud Grant, rest his soul, just passed away this week. One of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL. Took us four Super Bowls, lost all four, but whatever. And I love football. We were a football family, five brothers and one sister who was tougher than all the rest of us. So it was basically six crazy people. Anyway, for football. So I played football. And the thing I hated most about football was having to run a lap around the backstop of the baseball field that was, you know, it was probably like 30 yards away. So we had to run down there, run around the backstop and run back. And the reason I hated it was because, well, it was hard. But as you're running the lap, you got your fucking helmet and your shoulder pads and your pants on and you're running. And do you know what happens when you're running with a helmet on when you're in third fucking grade? You can hear your own breath inside your helmet. <sighs> and it's hot. You hear your breath and it's ringing in your head and all you can hear is your fucking breath and somewhere in you saying, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. <sighs> That's what happens when the person who is your living, living, breathing counter message to the messages you've gotten your whole life. That's what happens when that person walks away. All of a sudden, <sighs> up in your head, those messages, <sighs> I suck, I'm no good, see, no one wants me, see, I'm unlovable, and they pound, and they pound, and they beat the living shit out of you from inside. Don't ever doubt the power of an idea, a thought. There's literally no one in the room, just you and that thought of those messages from your childhood, and you're going neurotic, you can't sit still. Maybe you, you drink, maybe you stay busy or surround yourself with chaos. Maybe you overwork, overparent, overexercise. Maybe you play the ponies. Maybe you swipe and scroll. Maybe you're a gamer. Anything to numb, to quiet those fucking voices of those messages from your past in your head. See, you're no good. Nah, you're unlovable. Whatever messages 
were either stated explicitly or implied the underlying messages. As my mother, who used to do this business long before I was ever around, she was born in 1928. As she always said for decades, you're looking for the message behind the message, Sven. Right, so it's not always explicit, but those messages, those bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself as a child, those got pressed into you and those are what comes storming up when that love walks away. So the original question was, why can't I let go of someone who used me? Because you can't bear the thought of being alone with those messages you were taught about yourself. So you hold on and hold on and you beg and you hope, hoping to get them back. And that's just for the record, that's why people agree to be friends at the end of a relationship. Well, let's at least be friends. Invariably, well, not in quite invariably, but nine times out of 10, people are choosing to become friends. And I'm all for becoming friends. You just can't do it right away in most cases. You want to know why? Because usually it's one person trying to get away and one person clinging, like a little puppy. And I love puppies, don't get me wrong. They're very cute. But uh, I don't mean to be rude, but you're embarrassing yourself because you're clinging. It, and it's because the person doing the breaking up doesn't have the courage to put a permanent closure on it. Say, listen, we can be friends down the road, but I just want to break it. So they leave that fucking door open. They do what I call, they create what I call the illusion of hope. And so one person, that little puppy just keeps falling on. Let's be friends, let's be friends. And eventually they become a drag on the person who really ultimately doesn't want to be friends right now, who just wants to get on their life. They become a drag and finally then they have to put on the fucking closure. No, we got to end it. No, I'm not getting back together with you. Well, Christ, why didn't you fucking say that six months ago? Why didn't you stand up, have some character, have some backbone and just end it rather than this fucking slow walk out of the relationship. Maybe it's the slow walk of let's be friends or maybe it's the slow walk of, well, I need some space for a while or I need to think about it. No, just fucking end it, all right? Yes, it's hard to do to look another person in the face and end the relationship. Yes, it's hard to do. Yeah, this, this is why relationships require character. This is why being a decent human requires character to look another person in the face and do the hard deed to euthanize the relationship, to the, the horse with the broken leg. Yeah, you gotta look him in the eye and say, hey, oh boy, I gotta let you go. And give him the courtesy of a, you know, of a merciful death. I think they still do that. Yeah, they put horses down, right, for that sort of thing. It's just, it's the same with a relationship. If it's gotta end, it's gotta end. At least do the other person the courtesy, even though it won't feel like it to them or to you in the moment, it is a courtesy of ending the relationship. All right, I like this one. How do I know if an apology is authentic? Well, first of all, you ask yourself the question, does that, does that apology feel authentic? The mere fact that you're asking that question says a part of you thinks it isn't. Or the trust has so degenerated in this relationship that you don't even really believe this person's words anymore, right? Why would you even be asking if an apology is authentic unless you have reason to believe it might not be? And that reason is either situational and that is that this apology didn't feel authentic or there's a history of, I can't really take this person at their fucking words. You're in a relationship with someone whose um, apologies you don't fully trust. And that didn't just happen by chance, that happened over time that their words lost their gravitas. Their words lost their stick, believability, right? So to answer your question, how do I know if an apology is authentic? A, how does it feel? B, is it followed by change in actions? But let me ask also a very specific question. Have you guys ever been apologized to and the offense was this big and the apology was about this big? 
you know, huge offense, small apology, or uh, uh, sort of a comb over apology. You know, I, as you know, I shave my head, so I have a bald head, right? And, but if, you know, like old school where you'd take your hair and you'd comb it over, you got a big old bald head and you comb that hair over the big bald head, but there's never enough hair to <laughs> totally cover the bald head, right? It's kind of the same way with an apology. It's like, there's this big mass of bald fucking shit that you did to me. And you're just giving this little like, uh, I'm real sorry for everything I did. It's like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. That apology doesn't work. A real apology is where they fucking own their shit. I had a client just this week who said, you know, my father did that, Sven. I literally got a call from my father. And this is a 50 whatever year old woman and said, I got a call from my father completely out of the blue. I'd given up on him. I, we hadn't had contact in a while, completely out of the blue. And he wanted to meet and we met and he literally delineated everything, Sven. Everything I, he had ever done to me, every way that he could remember that he had let me down, every way he had hurt me. And he said, and you don't have to forgive me and I'll understand if you don't, but you deserve the courtesy of my seeing your pain. You deserve the courtesy of a, an apology and, you don't, and I understand if you don't ever forgive me. That's another way to know if an apology is authentic is if there's nothing expected in return. If a person is expecting or even wanting forgiveness, some people don't know how to apologize, so there's that. But if someone is expecting forgiveness or a repair of the breach in the relationship and that's why they're doing it, the apology takes on a sort of uh, a thinness. They just want something. They want their love source back. They want the relationship back. It's like, it's not they're necessarily doing it for you. They're doing it because they want their relationship back. And those are two different things. So ultimately, again, the answer is, how does it feel? And if it's inadequate, say it. Say it. Because if you really want a relationship with this person, then you've got to recondition them on what their apologies need to be like. You've got to recondition them on what your needs are. That's your responsibility to condition them. And then if they still don't meet your needs when it comes to an apology and changing action, then you need to get the fuck out because they're just saying they don't give a shit. All right. All right, on to the next question, fine humans. When she's gone, I miss her. When she's here, can't stand her. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. Um, I think we've all probably experienced a bit of that as we age. It's like, oh man, you know, it's like, it's like, in a way, one of our dogs, when I'm away, and I know I'm I'm not trivializing your problem, but I'm just saying I know a, a little sliver of that. I've experienced that in relationships before, but with one of my dogs, when we're away, it's like, ah, oh, sometimes I miss Oscar. And then when I'm home, it's just like, Oscar, shut the fuck up, man. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't have carpet. I have wood floors and stuff. And it's just like his barking, just yip, yip, yip throughout the house. It's like, drive me to drink at fucking eight in the morning. Um, anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so... You asked, or you said, you know, when you're with, you can't stand her, but when she's gone, I miss her. Yeah. And so what you're best off doing is write a letter to her that you don't send. Write a letter you don't send. Start there. You have to flush out all your feelings of missing and longing and fear of not having her, fear of being alone. You have to flush out all those feelings, right? And then uh, if you're back with her, you need to be flushing out in your journaling, pen and paper, simplest way to do it, right? Or write poetry or whatever gets it out into words, but you have to get out all the feelings of love because that's what's keep and longing and fear of being alone because that's what keeps you going back to her. All right, after this short break, I'll continue to take you deep, baby, right here on the Badass Counseling Show. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months, and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. 
He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. What's the badass got next? I always liked that commercial because I know that gentleman. He was a client of mine and uh, just wonderful. One of the finest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. I really, anyway, it's always uh, heartwarming to hear that uh, particular commercial from that fellow. All right. I'm an extreme giver. How do I see the extreme taker before they come? Red flag, red flag, the emotional abuse, sad face. All right. Those are all the icons. I wanted to give you guys the same experience I'm having. I'm an extreme giver. How do I see in capital letters, the extreme taker before they come. The emotional abuse is saddening. Yeah, um, before they come, I mean, that's, you gotta have really heightened sensibilities and sense of awareness of what's going on inside of me to see it before they come. I don't even really know that that's possible so much. So I'm gonna sort of take your, what I think you might be saying, how do you sense it early before it becomes a problem? An extreme taker, as you all know, that's my phrase for what so many people call narcissists. I think narcissist has become such a throwaway term that it really has no meaning. Um, and I choose, I use extreme giver with my clients. You've heard me use it before. And so how do you know if someone's an extreme taker? How do you catch it early? You catch it early by, if you've done the work on yourself, I mean really deep work, not most counseling, I mean even deep, getting out all of your own pain, fears, and bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. Um, and uh, if you've done that, you become more tuned into your own vibe, your own feel, your own body. Our body talks. I know that was a, that was a, is that an Olivia Newton-John song, Casey? Let's the get bo- physical, if yeah. you don't mind me saying so. The body talks, yeah. body talks. Let, All right, let me Rob, hear. on the musical reference. I should have known. Of course I should go to you. Uh, pardon me. I, I hope you don't feel betrayed or wounded that I didn't return to him. For the, he, the guy knows everything. He started in the music business. That's why he's my, I mean, you know, he's, he's done it all. And then TV and television and movies and big shot at a movie studio. And That's right. I know everything. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that's it. All things entertainment you do. Um, that's why he keeps poking me to wake me back up or to, you know, just keep me antsy so that it's more entertaining when Sven's, I don't know. Um, I'm an extreme giver. How do I see the extreme taker before they come? If you've done the work of purging out your pain and continually doing it, it's not a once and for all, it's a journey. I do it every day. Literally just this morning, I was laying in bed using the Sedona method in my head. Literally earlier today, I was journaling. I do it every single fucking day. And I've been doing this shit for 30, I've been journaling since I was 13. My mom started me when I was 13. So that's what, 42 years? So how do you see it? You feel it. You feel when something feels off. All you have to do is monitor your feelings. You want to sniff out a narcissist slash extreme taker? Do you want to sniff out an abuser? Do you want to sniff someone out? The first second something doesn't feel good, you hold it accountable. Anything. The first second it doesn't feel, and people say, well, that's not a red flag. That's just preferences. No, no. Big things start small. If you forget everything else I say, and some would argue you should, remember this, big things start small. They don't start with a, bitch, get me a chicken pot pie. They don't start with that. No, it starts with um, an apology that they don't give, but it's clearly warranted. That's how it starts. They start by, you notice a somewhat rudeness. If shit isn't called out, and it may not even be towards you, if you don't call shit out, it will grow. Cancers metastasize, right? And someone being an extreme uh, taker or potentially extreme taker, 
it starts small and you will see it. And this is why it's so important that we're tuned into my own body and how I feel because your body is talking. And if you're not giving credence to what your body is saying, the messages it's communicating to you about the experiences going on around you, if you're cut off from your own body and not listening, that's a fool's path. And it's a fool's path, not like a put down your bed person, but it's a fool's path as in the person who is just walking into pain. Um, and Crystal, you said, I'm an extreme giver. One last comment. That needs to um, be balanced. You need to learn uh, selfishness. And I want you, I really recommend you read that chapter in my book where I talk about, it. I draw a little drawing, my own hand. I drew a fucking horrible drawing, but you get the point. And I put selfishness on a continuum and way over here is total selflessness. Way over here is total selfishness, right? The extreme giver is way over here, totally selfish. The extreme taker is way over here, totally selfish, right? And what happens anytime a totally selfless person or an extreme giver does even one little thing that might be slightly selfish. I mean, it's not even halfway between selfless and selfish. It's not even close to balance. Just one little thing that, you know, is in that direction. The people around him go, oh, you're so fucking selfish. Oh man, look at you. God, right, because you're deviating from pattern. Ironically, on the other end, the person who is totally selfish most of the time, when they do one little thing that's in the direction of being selfless, not even halfway to being a decent fucking human being, right? But one little thing, that person says, oh, look at me. Fucking hell, I am Jesus Christ himself. Look how generous I am. Right. Right. The mere fact that you categorize yourself as an extreme taker rather than as someone who take or as an extreme giver, <laughs> rather than someone who oscillates a life of authenticity, at times you're going to be an extreme giver. At times I can be an extreme taker. At, I am very deliberate about protecting my time and protecting my space. I can only handle people in my physical space for a certain amount because I have to recharge my batteries because I'm constantly, you know, counseling people and shit like that. Or I'm, you know, whatever. The point is at times I'm very selfish. At times I'm very selfless. But normally I'm oscillating around the center. All right? It's not just I'm dead center, right in the center. I'm always balanced. I'm always halfway between selfish and selfless. No, that's not an authentic life. There are times when we, it's a joy, it's a delight to give and to give and give. And then there are times when it's a delight to just receive, all right? And it's this constant movement. So if you categorize yourself as an extreme giver, Crystal, I would encourage you to find the origins of that, where that came from and how much that is looped into your own sense of worth and then begin to purge that out because it's better if you're oscillating it's better if you're moving between because at different times in life, we are different people. And if you're not capable of being the extreme taker and defending your boundaries, at the very least, you're going to fall into another relationship where you're just giving and giving. I am going to take one more question, maybe two. Oh, Crystal followed up by saying, my mother taught me to be selfless. Yeah, exactly. My parents did too. And loving parents, wonderful. But the price of that is the loss of self. And that's why it has to be healed. Okay. Rhonda says, thank you, Sven. I am 62 and have been looking for normal, in capital letters, my whole life. You have helped me the most, in all capital letters. Thank you very much. But I got news for you, Rhonda. Uh, you did the work. It's like I tell my clients, man. <laughs> you know, we're going deep. We're going into that cave that you most fear to enter, right? We're going in there, but I'm not the one doing the work. I did my work about 20 years ago. I, I, as you all know, I was in a 12-year suicidal depression right? 
when we're in session or when I'm asking questions or when I'm doing these, I'm just asking the questions. I'm just helping you guys have new perspectives and stuff. But you, if you're doing the work, you're the one doing the work because I know the scary place that so many of you are in right now. I have been there myself. Different reasons, but I've been there. I know that dark winter of the soul. I know the pain that you're in. I know your sadness, the deep anger that you can't even touch or don't want to touch perhaps. And the love for certain people, the longing to be closer to certain people, friends, family, whatever it might be, but the darkness and the lethargy, this energy suck, draining the fucking lifeblood out of you. I have been there. And from my heart to yours, and I mean this very sincerely, as someone who has been where you are, I'm so sorry, truly. But this isn't a death sentence. This doesn't have to be your fate. But you do have to allow the pain to come up and come out. One of my very closest friends right now is in a very hard depression. And every day, every day, I'm telling him, dude, do the fucking journaling. I'll listen to you. You know, I mean, this is one, this is one of the most dear people in my entire life. I say, I'll listen to you. You, you have direct access to me anytime unless I'm in session with someone. But you gotta do the fucking work. You gotta go into that shit and flush it out and keep flushing. Well, Sven, that's not gonna help me. My problem is still there of what's causing it all. I said, doesn't matter. You're purging your fucking feelings. And that's what's causing the lack of clarity is that you're clouded by all your feelings. That's what's bogging you down. It's the feelings that are attached to, affixed to the memory, the emotional charges that are affixed to the experience. Yes, there's the reality of the experience itself, but it's those emotional charges. And the more we are actively attempting to decharge our experience and decharge our memories, the more we become free. The weight that you feel, the heaviness, the depression, that's from the emotional charges attached to the experience. And there are tools for removing emotional charges. That's what journaling's for. That's what letter writing is for, that you don't letters you don't send. That's what fucking writing poetry is for. That's what the Sedona method is for. That's one of the books I recommend in my book. I didn't write Sedona Method. I get nothing from it, except I get to see more people healed. It's a very powerful tool. That's what I wrote my book for, to help you decharge those memories and to help you find the origins of the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. My fine human earthling follower, listener, live people, it's so great. I fucking love talking with you guys and helping you out maybe a little bit. I, uh, you know, my girlfriend hears me say and tell people, and it's this is how I feel. I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find food. I don't have all the answers, but I know a lot of the good questions that'll take you inside of yourself, and you need to find the answers inside of you of who you are, of your soul talking. You have to remove that winter pack of all the crud, the leaves, the ice, the mud, the gunk, the snow. The, you gotta remove all that crud so that those little shoots of your authentic self can blossom and flower up from your soul. Dear people, on behalf of my production team of KC in the booth, always active and ready to go and always that creative brain churning. And my dear, dear, dear friend, Rob, on my left here, thank you so much. On behalf of the Badass Counseling Show, I say have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. 
Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.